Hello and welcome to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am Leah Heigl and I'm here with my co-host Aidan Muir. And today we will be answering the question, can you gain muscle and lose body fat at the same time? A good place to start with this would be just why would you think that this isn't possible as a theory? So if we theoretically look at it, the, the body is made up of calories. So the logic would be that if we have a surplus, there is more calories left to be stored as muscle. So you have these excess calories that can be stored as muscle. But if we have a calorie deficit, so eating less than maintenance, the body already has to be pulling from other stores and then it's less likely to prioritize muscle growth, which is a pretty energy intensive process. So if we're looking to optimize muscle building, it makes sense that like logically a surplus would be the best option and then vice versa for fat loss, a deficit would logically be the best option. So it seems that fat loss and muscle growth somewhat are competing goals um, and that we probably can't optimize both at once, but whether or not it is possible to do both at once, not optimize, but do both at once is probably a different story and we will go through that. Um, A quick note on that though, before we do kind of delve into the research, is that it's actually pretty rare for people to stay in a surplus or a deficit 100% of the time, even though that's what they're aiming for. Our energy expenditure does change on a daily basis. So even if you are tracking um, and you think you're being pretty diligent, it is common for you to kind of dip in and out of the surplus and deficit, which could be, you know, it could play a role in all of this as well. In the research, it is actually super common for both to occur at the same time. I came across the idea of you not necessarily being able to do them both at the same time if you're relatively well-trained through forums like bodybuilding.com and stuff like that. And I think it's a good rule to learn and then unlearn, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because I think learning it makes you see that it's probably not the most efficient way to achieve your goals. But then the next step, like unlearning it, is just like being like, okay, you can technically do both at the same time. Instead of like looking at the research, instead of going through the studies individually, probably mostly going to talk about a 2020 review titled body composition, oh, sorry, body recomposition can trained individuals build muscle and lose fat at the same time. I prefer to go through this review just so that way it's summarizing all of the research rather than just going through individual stuff. Another thing I really want to focus on is notice the emphasis on trained individuals, because that's really what the question is about, because it is super common for untrained individuals to be able to do it. You get the average person off the street who's never lifted weights in their life and you give them a decent program and don't change the nutrition or anything like that, it's very likely that they're doing both at the same time. Not necessarily the most efficient way to go about it, but they're going to get good results regardless. Um, In the second paragraph of that review I was talking about, there are eight well-controlled, randomized control trials cited where muscle gain and fat loss occurred simultaneously in reportedly well-trained individuals. Kind of answers the question, can you do them both at the same time? Yes, but we'll dig a bit deeper um they highlighted case studies identifying that bodybuilders typically don't recomp during contest prep during their contest prep and that makes a lot of sense because bodybuilders are typically pretty well trained and they are also striving for levels of leanness where the body doesn't necessarily want to be pulling from body fat because there's not much less we obviously need a certain amount to just maintain being alive in certain functions um And it makes it more likely to lose lean mass during that process. Another thing that they highlighted um, 
is that recomp almost never occurs in a calorie surplus. This is something that makes a fair bit of sense in terms of um, just looking at through the, the stuff you highlighted at the start being like, if you have a surplus of calories, like it needs to be stored somewhere. Muscle growth is a slow process. If not a large percentage of them can be stored as muscle, where else does it go? Like it makes sense that it's going to be stored as body fat. There are a couple of studies reportedly where people do recomp in a surplus, but I question major aspects of them. One of the most famous examples of this is one by Jose Antonio, where he got people to have 4.4 grams per kilogram body weight protein per day. Think about that for a second. If somebody's 100 kilos, it's 440 grams of protein. It's a lot of protein. It's insane. Um, <laughs> and the participants gained muscle and lost fat. But the thing is, they also lost a little bit of body weight overall. And the obvious reason for that is that they didn't end up in a surplus. One, because it's hard to eat that much protein that they got full before they ate too many calories. And then two, the thermic effect of food. Protein has a higher thermic effect of food than other macronutrients, and that would have increased energy expansion a little bit more. So it's like they might have been a predicted surplus, but I don't think they actually ended up in a surplus, which explains it. Obviously, that's my own thinking. If you read the paper, he says something quite the opposite of what I just said, but that's my interpretation. A note on why it happens so much in research. So one reason it happens in research in terms of recomping is because participants they're often literally just training harder um, as part, like as a, re a research participant and more consistently than they've previously trained. So they are often usually newer to training. So if you're newer to training, you're of a kind of a younger training age, you are more likely to recomp than people with a, a higher training age. I'll also add on to that in that review that I looked at, um, most of the quote unquote well-trained participants had trained for over 12 months but they weren't yeah. like, they weren't super experienced. Like they had about 12 months, 12 like, to 24 months experience was common. I wouldn't call like a year or two, like a high training age, no. like personally, like we know, like in terms of muscle building, that is something that takes a long time. So like, it, that's going to be very different to someone who's been resistance training for like a decade. Yeah. Like that's going to be pretty drastically different. So usually it is like, it's probably pretty hard to find a bunch of people who've been training for a decade and put them into a study. So often it is people with, a like a little bit of training experience, but probably not years and years and years. Um, so like their potential to gain muscle whilst not in an optimal state of, I guess, calorie surplus, et cetera, is probably a little bit better. Um, we have quite a lot of research indicating that we need to train somewhere nearer to failure to optimize muscle growth. Um, that's not saying like go out and do everything to failure. Like that's not us suggesting that, but we do know like, when you, you kind of train to proximity of failure, you're probably more likely to build muscle mass. And in the, these research settings, um, that's probably more tightly controlled in terms of they have people usually taking them through the sessions and they are more likely to push themselves nearer to failure than, say, someone who's been training for a year and is training on their own in, in the gym. So something to consider um, in that in the research, people are often pushed to complete failure um, where that may not be happening in real world settings. Uh, another factor is their nutrition is also often monitored in some capacity in these studies too, which plays a role. Um, so potentially more optimized protein intake, general, just general optimized kind of dietary aspects compared to real world settings and more like consistency. 
Uh, we have heard some research in this space, researchers in this space say that at the end of kind of the six to 12 week studies, most participants report wanting to take a break from training or a deload just due to kind of general soreness and fatigue. But like if we look at general people in the gym, how often are these people needing, like they're training so hard that they actually need deloads? Like definitely we see it in athletes, like we're both powerlifters, we in a powerlifting gym. So these are people with higher training ages who are training to kind of this extent. But if you walk into like a regular commercial gym, how many people are needing deloads from working this hard? Probably not a lot, um, but we know in research, they're probably working a bit hard to the point where they they do need these deloads. So I think there's just a, a big discrepancy between what we do see in research and what we do see in the real world that plays a role in why we're less likely to maybe see recomposition happening in the real world and a little bit more in research. Explaining when is more or less likely to happen in terms of recomp, building muscle and losing fat at the same time. There's a bit of a criteria. People who are more likely to recomp are going to be those who, as we said, are new to training or are detrained as in they've come from a layoff from training. Ideally, they have a good training protocol and they execute it well. They ideally have good nutrition, particularly good protein intake. They get a good amount of sleep. They have low stress levels. And ideally, they also have good genetics. And a final nutrition point is like, it's less likely to happen if somebody's in a massive deficit or they are in a surplus, as we kind of said. Because if somebody's in a massive deficit, they'll be losing more body fat, but it's, it's not a, there's not many calories left for muscle growth or anything like that. Um, is it, the further you get from that kind of criteria I laid out, the less likely it is mm-hmm. to happen. And another way I like to say it is if somebody's getting close to their most optimal physique or whatever you would like to call it, the less likely it hap- it's, the less likely it is to happen. Yeah. So like, what would we kind of recommend in the real world? Like, what do we recommend, I suppose, as the most efficient way to kind of build muscle, lose fat, like change your body composition? Um, It is really rare for me to recommend recomping. I think like what I like to say to a lot of the people I work with is that you're like, you're not going to probably recomp yourself to a significantly different body composition. Um, Sure, if you've got all those factors on your side that you just mentioned, um, you are more likely to see, you know, good results from recomping. Um, But the more you move away from those factors and the the more well-trained you are, the leaner you are, the more muscle mass you have, the less significant change or the less likely it is that you're going to be able to recomp. So for those people, I would much prefer to cycle between phases of a calorie surplus for optimizing muscle building and then phases of a calorie deficit for fat loss. And I view us as evidence-based professionals and everything like that, but something that is factored in with being an evidence-based professional is not solely just looking at research, like also looking at anecdotal evidence when there's large, large, large sample sizes. Mm -hmm. And I think a great example of this is the sport of bodybuilding, where if you look at all bodybuilders who are taking a long off season between competitions, but they're doing it as an improvement season where they're trying to get better. What is one thing almost all of them have in common? They spend long periods of times in relatively small calorie surpluses And they might do mini cuts occasionally if they do gain a little bit too much body fat. But something we don't really see is people just like trying to recomp. It's not like they 
gain a bit of weight after the comp and then just try and recomp for the entire off season and then go into another contest prep. We never see that or it's very, very, very rare. And I think the reason why that's very, very, very rare is because the participants of this sport, one, are looking around and seeing everyone else doing it. I think that's part <laughs> of it. But two, I think everyone's fallen into that kind of thing of doing, not aiming for recomp because it's just less efficient. And it's something that has been seen over and over and over and over. So it makes sense to do these calorie surpluses and then deficits if you're trying to optimize progression from a physique perspective. And even just looking at people's, I guess, like aesthetic goals, it's unless you're like genetically predisposed to that certain physique, you're probably not going to reach that physique goal without like with recomping, like you're not going to have a huge amount of muscle mass and be very lean by continuously just trying to recomp. So I think that's just something to note. This has been episode 91 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I was on Spotify earlier today and I saw that the ratings, we've got like 81 ratings or something like that. Like in comparison to like big name podcasters, that's obviously nothing, right? But I am ridiculously grateful for anybody who has left a rating. It only takes two seconds to do, but it has a huge impact on us. So I massively appreciate it. Thank you.